Good morning, everyone. You're all very welcome to our Sunday service. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians again today. So if you want to get a head start, you can open there to Galatians 3, verses 10 to 14. And if you have your Bibles open, we'll pray for the kids and we'll get into Galatians chapter 3. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are a good, good father. Lord, your word teaches how much you have loved us, God, that you sent your son, Jesus. Uh, father, you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to, to live, to die, to rise again, so that we could be raised in new life, so that we could be brought into the family of God, that we could be called children of God by your grace. And Lord, as we've been studying Galatians, Lord, it's been amazing to learn just the freedom we have in you, um, that it is only you, Jesus, that allows us to stand before God, that all our hope is in you, Lord, that we're placing it all on you. And yet, God, we know that there can be the temptation and the lie, Father, of the enemy to say that we're not good enough, that we're not doing enough, that we need, Lord, to do something else to be able to come into your presence. And Lord, it's a lie. And God, as we're confronted with that lie in the scripture today, Lord, and the rebuke of it and the truth, Lord, would you just remind us of the beauty of the gospel, of the blessing we have in Jesus, and Jesus, that you were cursed so that we could be blessed. Holy Spirit, we pray you would speak to each person here today. You would speak through me, Lord. Um, anything that is not of me may fall flat on the ground. But Lord, would you use your word to change our hearts, to change our lives, to make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to have five verses today, so we might as well read them out together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. The Apostle Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. So we've been a few weeks out of Galatians. So because we're coming kind of halfway into Galatians chapter 3, I'd just like to remind us of what Paul has been doing and saying to us in our first 10 verses and where he's been bringing us now in the letter so far. So in Galatians 3, Paul has been bringing the Galatians back to their own experience in the past, their experience of the Lord's working, and to make the point that their standing you know, and the work that God is doing in them and through them was on the basis of faith. These believers, they had received the Holy Spirit, Paul said, because of their faith. They were brought into a relationship with the Father because of faith, and now they must continue on in their walk in faith. And the point is this, is that there is never a point in our walk with God where he removes the obligation of faith from us, as if faith was like training wheels until we become big and strong enough to kind of go by ourselves on a bike and not fall over. Um, we never have faith removed. Like if we did, to keep the bike analogy, we'd fall flat on our face straight away. We don't graduate from faith. Every step needs to be taken by faith. Every decision we make for the Lord must be in faith. Every bit of growth that we see in our life is because we have faith in the God who will grow us. And none of it, none of what we experience at the Lord is because we have earned it, 
but it's because we are believing in the Lord. We are believing that he will do what he says he will do and that he will carry us through. And this is the example Paul gave of Abraham in that he calls the man of faith. As we learned in our last study of Galatians, Abraham's life was marked by faith. Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland, to leave his family, and go to a place that God would one day show him. God called him to do an act of faith. Um, Abraham showed us faith when he was called by God to believe that the Lord would give him an heir, that he would give him a son, even though he was well into his pensioner years at this stage, and that God would do it, another act of faith. God tested Abraham by telling him to offer up his one and only son as a sacrifice. And the account in the scripture is that Abraham believed in the promises so much that if his son had to die, God would have to raise him from the dead to keep his promises. Abraham went from faith to faith. And though he was not perfect, he trusted in the one who was perfect. Amen? And because of his faith, the apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Paul's conclusion is that if the father of the people of God lived his life by faith, shouldn't his children do the same thing? Should we not walk in his footsteps? Those who want to be of Abraham must be like Abraham and deal with him in the same way. And Abraham did not approach the Lord based on how good he was or what he did. It was all about faith. When you turn to Jesus, no matter who you were before you came to him, your identity has changed, and the scripture says this of you. It says you are blessed. You are blessed in Christ Jesus. You are blessed because you know God, blessed because you're forgiven, blessed because you have eternal life, blessed because your future is secure, blessed because God is working all things out for your good. Blessed because you have the Holy Spirit and God is going to use you for his purposes. And you're blessed because you get to enter into his presence as we did this morning as the lads led us in worship. And we get to worship our Lord face to face. We are blessed and we are blessed because we are in Christ. Because of all that Jesus has done for you and for me, this is who we are. No matter how we're feeling, no matter what the world says, if we are trusting in Jesus, we are a people who are blessed because of what he has done. And that is the most amazing, beautiful truth about Christianity and the gospel, that God has done it, that he has made the way possible. You know, to, he, is, he has stepped out so that we could come home. He has made it possible that we can be changed. And all we need to do is believe, to believe and put our hope and to rest on him. And when we do that, the scripture says this about us. It says we are what's known as in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we receive the blessing of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read it to you. This is the first uh, two verses of Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. We won't read the whole thing, but if you ever get the chance, it's amazing. It's this long, beautiful sentence in the Greek of all the blessings that we have because of what God has done for us. And it's all about what God has given us once we believe. But it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him. 
So it is truly an amazing position that we find ourselves in as Christian. No matter how bad your life is right now, what the scripture says is true of you is true if you are in Christ. And my hope is that, you know, having heard how wonderful it actually is to be accepted by God, and we can sometimes lose the wonder and the excitement that we get to know God. Hopefully we can understand why Paul is so passionate in Galatians chapter 3. Like maybe it's a little bit more clear as to why he's calling them foolish, why he says they're bewitched, why he hopes the Judaizers will emasculate themselves, why he says they are now going forward in vain and they're wasting their time. See, the Galatians have it all. And they are now in a danger of shipwrecking their relationship with the Lord because they're doing something that should not be done. They are trying to abandon and go on from faith in Christ and place their faith in what Paul says, the works of the law, in doing something else. And ultimately, what it's, it's faith in themselves and what they're doing, faith in what we can do for God. And what we see in our text this morning, starting from verse 10, is that if we should abandon faith, if we choose to have a reliance on the works of the law and what we're doing to be justified by God, Paul says we will not be blessed. It will not be true of us. And not only are we not blessed, it gets worse. When we're not blessed by God, we don't just go into a state of neutrality where we're somewhere in the middle, we're neither this nor there. It's very, it's binary. It's either you are blessed or what Paul will say now is, you are cursed. Paul says in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to bring three conclusions to us in our text today. And the three conclusions are this. Number one, the scriptures, the Old Testament, have always declared that your works will only bring you a curse in the end and not a blessing. Number two, the Old Testament teaches us that trusting in the Lord is the only way to become a righteous person in his sight, to be justified, to have life. And number three, these two things, faith and works, they are of two very different substances. They cannot go together because they are not the same thing. They're two different natures, like water and oil. They do not mix. You cannot blend them. And so he starts in verse 10 by saying that all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And so it's, it's very straightforward. We ask the question, we ask the question, what does it mean to be under a curse? And what does it actually look like to be reliant upon the law? So the idea here is that you are depending on something or with your full trust or you have confidence in something or that you are characterized by this thing. And the King James Version says those who are of the law of God, as in this is what defines you as a person. And maybe to help get the idea straight, think of it in the opposite. Think of the confidence that you have in Jesus. You know, we know that when we trust in Jesus, if this was our last hour on the earth, we would know that we would be with him forever and eternity. And we are staking it all on Jesus. We're placing our bet in him and trusting in him. And again, it's being defined by him. And so take that trust that you have placed in Jesus and put it instead on your religious obedience. Would you be as confident? 
And that's the idea that has been invading the churches in Galatia, that if you did not trust in the law first and obeyed the law, and I started with circumcision if you were male, then you were not really a Christian at all because you were not first a Jew. And you can think of, in a sense, it would have been quite a scary thing to be told. Imagine being following Jesus for a few years, walking with him, seeing the Holy Spirit do things in you and through you. And someone comes and say, guys, you actually got it wrong. You know, you have to do something else, otherwise you will not be accepted by your faith. And in one sense, it's kind of scary, but in another sense, you can almost see the appeal of it. Because it's about what you get to do. It's about your pride and your accomplishments that you have done something worthwhile, that you have made it possible to be right with God in the first place because of your work. And this attitude, relying on ourselves and our, our goodness and the things we do, it is infectious and it's why so many people in this world are deceived because humanity, we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we're fine, that we're all right. If you were to ask the average person on the street, you know, do you believe in God? Do you believe in an afterlife? And if you believe in those things, how would you get there? I don't think, I don't think people, I used to think, but I don't think anymore that people would say, well, I've done this many good things and this many bad things, and somehow I, I'm going to level it out. Like, no one really thinks that way. Instead, we say, well, I'm a good person, aren't I? That my, I am characterized by goodness, and therefore, I am fine. Now, usually that goodness is, you know, um, defined by comparison, right? I know I'm good because I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not like them, so therefore I am, I am good. But whether it's reliance on the works of the law or some religious standard that we put on ourselves or we put on others, or reliance on your own goodness, whatever goodness means apart from God, what we see is that it is not enough. We cannot be blessed by God in this way. What actually happens is we are instead under a curse. Now that's a word we need to unpack because perhaps it's quite foreign in our modern kind of like secular world. What does it mean to be under a curse? So no, it's not talking about like curse words. You know, like I'm not going to say any curse words. <laughs> We're not talking about curse words. And it's not even the, the idea of like, you know, a witch giving you the evil eye and putting some kind of spell on you, although people would have believed that was a possibility. Maybe to help get the idea of a curse right, is to think of what's, what's the opposite of a curse, the thing we've been talking about the last few months. It's a blessing. You're either blessed or you're cursed. So what, what does it mean to be, to be blessed? Well, the very first place we see the word of being blessed uh, coming up is actually in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1.22, the Lord, he looks at the sea creatures, and he looks at the birds of the air, and he says, the Lord blessed them and told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Six verses down, Genesis 1.28, the Lord speaks to humanity, and it says that the Lord blessed them told them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, uh, to subdue it, and to have dominion over all living things. And so the very first idea of blessing in the Bible speaks of abundance, it speaks of uh, prospering, prosperity, and it speaks of increase with ease. And so if that is what it means to be blessed, then the opposite of those things is really what it is to be cursed. Instead of abundance, there is scarcity. Instead of and prosperity, there is poverty. And instead of increase with ease, there is toil and struggle. 
And that is what we actually see in the curse in Genesis chapter 3. It's existence without the favor of God. And in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord in verses 17, he curses Adam and he curses the ground. It's up there, it says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which you were commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Torns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. It's not a very happy experience. Not because they're eating the plants of the field, but because of the conditions they have to bring it forth in. Toil and struggle. The sweat of your brow. And this is the end result Take that image of just that barrenness and that struggle and that almost hopelessness and extend that. This is what happens if you rely on your works to be justified by God rather than relying on what God has done for you. And it's something that we see is made very clear to us in the word of God. Paul here in Galatians 3, he's quoting from Moses. He's quoting from Deuteronomy where it says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So why does the law lead to a curse? It's because we're not able to keep the law. You know, it's the, only the person who, who keeps them all and does them who can be justified before God. And look, there is one person on the earth who has ever done that, and it's not you, and it's not me. None of us are perfect. We'd like to be, we might pretend we are sometimes, but we know we aren't. We mess up, we make mistakes, we hurt others, we do the things we shouldn't do, and we don't do the things that we should do. And if you're trying to live like this, trying to live by the law, what's the question you're going to always ask? What's the question of any kind of works-based religion that you have to ask? It's, am I good enough? And deep down, we know the answer. And that answer brings guilt and it brings shame when we try and stand before the Lord. Obedience to the law, it might keep you from sin because you are told what God does not want you to do, but it'll never deal with your sin. It will not justify you before the Lord. And here's the thing again, it was never meant to. And we see that the scriptures have told us from the very beginning, there is only one way to be made right with God, and that is true faith. And we see that in verses 11 and 12. As we continue on, it says, Now it is evident that no one is justified by God before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And I love this because Paul is saying it's evident. It is crystal clear that nobody, no one, no exception will be justified by works of the law. And you notice here how he knows this. What does he do? He points us back to Scripture. Last week, we were looking at our sermon of the importance of rightly handling the Word of God, right? And what we see here is an example of what it looks like when you rightly handle the Word of God. You can have assurance about the things God has said. Paul knows he can't be justified by works of the law, not because of how he feels or how he thinks in his mind, but because of what God has said. And he quotes this Scripture here and it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Now these words, the righteous shall live by faith, Paul is quoting the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.4. And in Habakkuk, um, the prophet, he is making all these complaints to the Lord. Israel was in a state, the Babylonians were invading, and they were 
They were, they were punishing the people of God for their disobedience. And Habakkuk, he's complained to the Lord, asking, Lord, how can you use such a proud, wicked nation as the, the Babylonians to discipline us, the children of Israel, the children of God? You know, they seem to be on top and favored. They seem to be, to be blessed and with the Lord. And the Lord, he responds to them in this by saying that, you know, Babylon isn't righteous, Habakkuk. Though they might seem on top, though they seem to be the dominant power of the day, and they are proud, they are arrogant, and they are not righteous. He says, instead of being proud to live at me, he says, the righteous will live by his faith. And that's how it's always been. Whether it's Abraham living by faith, or Habakkuk living by faith, or the Christians in Galatia here, every person who has ever been made right with God has been made right by faith. That is how God has designed it. And we don't get a choice in the matter. We must simply follow him. The Lord doesn't want us to come before him with the works of our hands and say, look what I have done for you, God. Am I good enough now? Now will you love me? Now will you accept me? Can I know you now? Like it's a, it's a, a foolish thought because we wouldn't, you know, if God is a king on a throne and we want to make this petition, we wouldn't even get into the throne room with all our works in our hands. No, the scripture teaches instead, God has pursued us. The Lord has left his throne. He has left the heavenly places to make it possible for us to come to him. He is moving to redeem sinners. He always has, he always will. He is doing so in this place today. And he is reaching out his hands to us. And what we need to do is drop the works, drop the good things that we are doing, let them fall to the floor, take his hand and let him lead us and follow him. And when we do this, there is a blessing. We get to live before God. But if we do all of this without faith, it's, it's a curse. And don't get me wrong, there's many good things that come from knowing the Lord. You know, we get to have devotions to the Lord. We get to do good works to him. We get to feel all kinds of wonderful feelings towards Jesus and what he's done for us. And we get to experience the Lord doing things in us and through us that we could never imagine outside of him. But all of these things are meaningless and perhaps even dangerous if they're without faith. Because without faith, it only puts us under a curse, right? We need to live by faith and nothing else. We need to run from the lie that we will not be made right with God as Jesus followers if we are not doing something. God wants us to approach him by faith. And the law is not faith. The law is all about doing. It's what you have to do. It's about you. There are two very different natures. It's like, again, like oil and water. And I meant to bring in something to show you today, so my bad, I failed on the props. Um, but this week in school, it was science week in my daughter's schools, and they were doing little experiments. And Nora has this little water bottle, and it's filled with water and oil, and like food coloring and glitter. It's, it's very pretty. Um, but you'll notice something. Um, the oil is on the top, and the water is on the bottom. They don't come together. And I could shake that bottle and put it down, and for a moment it might look like it's unified and it's one substance, but you let it settle, and over the passage of time you see that they are two very different things, and they will never blend. It's the same with faith and law. Faith is about believing and receiving. The law is about doing and earning. Again, Paul says in verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
That's a very definite statement, isn't it? If you want to be justified, you must do the law. You must do all of it. It's not good enough to simply try and do it. You have to do it. When I was younger, um, I had, had a stepfather, and he would always say to me, there's no such thing as try, Danny. You just do or you don't. It used to annoy me, but it's, it's actually true. That's what Paul says. You don't try and keep the law. You do the law or you have failed. You must live by it, not try to live by it. And we can't mix these two things together. You know, we can't say, I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to let God do the rest. That is not a biblical concept. It's a religious concept. It's a, a cultish concept. It's actually a Mormon concept, but it's not a Christian concept. Whether it's a Mormonism or cults or the religions of this world, the message is always this. We are saved by grace after all we can do. It's this weird combination of the two. But God's word says you can't have them both. You either have one or the other. Are you going to choose law or are you going to choose grace? Paul here, he's quoting from Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 12. And in Leviticus 18, obviously the Lord says to him, keep all these commandments. But he's being very specific here. He's talking about Israel not becoming like the nations around them, not becoming like Canaanites, not becoming like the Egyptians, especially in regards to uh, sexual sin. Like if you want to know what God says about sex, look at Leviticus 18. And his point in there is that if they were to engage in these practices, they would be uh, cursed and taken out of the land, just like the nations that came before them. If they wanted to be blessed in the land, if they wanted to go under works in the law, then they had to be obedient. But if they weren't, they were cursed. And I want to read to you, actually, Leviticus 18. Look at what the Lord says of what happens. Again, the result of failing to live a life where you are justified by your works. In Leviticus 18, 26 to 30, it will be up there on the screen. It says this, But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either to the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the person who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord. So what is the failure that God's word says for failing to keep the law? It's uncleanness. It's your name being cut off. and It's, it's, it's failure. And with that failure, guilt and shame, it's, it's a curse. Again, if we are not rightly handling the word of God, we can so easily be deceived to thinking it is about what we are doing. And that is how we know we are right with God. But we know, as we have said last week when we looked at our sermon together, God has spoken. God has chosen to speak to us because he wants to be known. Again, we came to this conclusion last week that when we handle and approach God's word in a faithful way, we come to realize, again, God has spoken, and he has spoken because he wants to be known. He has not left it up to like natural revelation. Again, the Bible teaches, you know, this creation is enough to make us believe that there is a God, but it's not enough to make us know who he is. We can acknowledge him, but we can't come close to him. And outside of Jesus, we would simply be trapped in this whole works mentality. 
we would never come to him because of our sin. And yet we know from rightly handling the word of God that God has decided and said to come to us despite our sin to bring us back to him. And the Father has made it known to us how we can come to him, how we can be justified by faith, how we can be free from this curse, and how we can have confidence. The order of Hebrews he says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has spoken to us through his Son, through Jesus. And it is by looking to Jesus that we can be blessed, that we can know we are escaping the curse. And Paul says it here in chapter 3, verse 13, that we can be freed from the curse of the law because Jesus became a curse for us. Look what it says in verse 13 and 14. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There's a lot in there, if we're honest. Like we could literally just camp there and just think about this forever and ever and it'd be enough. Christ has redeemed us. The king has redeemed us and he has done it he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us from that curse by becoming a curse from us. He was cursed by being hanged on a tree. Because he is cursed, we are blessed. If we are blessed, we're blessed like Abraham. We are blessed because we're justified. We are blessed because we have the Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is place our faith in him. It's wonderful. So let's just unpack this a little bit for our last few minutes together. The first thing Paul says here is that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So what does it mean to be redeemed? Redemption. Redemption uh, comes from the idea of, of purchasing out of something or, or buying something back. And what that tells us is that Jesus didn't just rescue us from the curse of the law. Jesus paid a price for us. The very idea of uh, redemption, it came from ancient warfare. So you'd have two opposing armies, they'd come out and fight, and the victor very often would take the, the defeated enemy captive. Now, if you were poor, if you were a nobody, you were a common worker of the land, you were sold as a slave, you were carted off somewhere, and you were never seen again by your loved ones, your friends, your family. You were gone, and that was your destiny. But the, those of wealth, you know, the more important people, those of status in their nation, in their people, they weren't sold into slavery. They were held at ransom. And so the people back home, what they would do is they would collect the money, they would gather the price that was required, they would hand it over, they would pay the, the victors, and the captive person would be free. This whole process was called redemption, and the price was called the ransom. And Paul says that Jesus did that for us. Like Jesus did that for you. And Jesus did that, that for me. Like, I, I love, you know, to him, Jesus paid it all. And I, I, I can get so wrapped up in praising Jesus for him paying it all, I can forget that he did that for me, that he did that for you. And, like, I, I think about that. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus, why? 
I honestly, I do not get it. Why would you pay the price for me? Why would he pay the price for you? I know your word says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And you know, Lord Jesus, I believe that. And I'm sure all of us who believe in Jesus believe that. But I'll never understand it. I, I look at my life and I look at the failure I have done as a Christian and I ask, Lord, why would you die for me? But it's amazing, isn't it? Like, Jesus paid the price for you. And what that means is, you know, the world might look at you and see a nobody. You might look at yourself and say, I am worthless. I have no value. I have no purpose. I have no meaning. I am worthless. And yet Jesus paid a price for you. God looked at you. He looked at me. He looked at every person who has ever existed and will exist. And he decided it was worth the price of sending his son to die. To die like an innocent lamb for us, to free us from the curse. Paul says Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And what that means is that Jesus stood in our place. By paying the price, he took what we deserved. He not only gave up his life on the cross, which you know, on the, the physical side of things was excruciating, but he endured the wrath of his father for our sin. He became like the, the Passover lamb. That he was the focal point of God's wrath so that his wrath would pass over us and rest on him. And when did Jesus do this? It was on the cross. Paul says in verse 13, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. Paul here, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21 which is a, a law about what you do when you hang a person publicly in Israel, or what should happen to that person. And the whole principle of that passage tells us that Jesus received the curse when he hung on the cross, on that wooden cross, publicly exposed to all. Now, it's funny that Paul would use this, this, this quote because Jews didn't practice crucifixion. In fact, when, when this scripture was given in Deuteronomy, uh, crucifixion didn't even exist. And yet the Holy Spirit, he takes this word and he's inspiring it and he's interpreting it, that, you know, this command in the context of Jesus' public execution on the cross. And again, Paul takes this idea and he says, you know, he applies the tree to Jesus' cross, that the cross is the tree upon which Jesus was hanged. And so we ask, well, what's the whole deal with quoting Deuteronomy. What's the significance of being cursed on a tree? On this image of hanging on a tree, um, I want to quote from you from one commentary from David Guzik. He says this, In the thinking of ancient Israel, there was something worse than being put to death, which is hard to imagine. Worse than that was to be put to death and have your corpse left in the open, exposed to shame, humiliation, and scavenging animals and birds. When it says hangs on a tree, it doesn't have the idea of being executed by strangulation, but of having the corpse mounted on a tree or other prominent place to expose the executed one to the elements and supreme disgrace. It was an act of shame, not just of death, but you were, your, your nakedness, everything about you, your, your, your crime, your punishment was exposed when you were hung on a tree for all to see. And this is something none of us really want, is it? Not crucifixion, but that exposure. 
Like think of in Genesis, what, was, what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? You know, they took the forbidden fruit, they ate of the tree of the fruit of good and evil. And what did they do when God calls out to them? They hide themselves. They recognize they're naked and they are ashamed. This is what happens to all who are under the curse. We are in a place of shame. And to have that sin, to have our sin like exposed, naked for the world to see, like Guzik says, it was worse than being put to death. What that means is when Jesus hung on the cross, you know, beaten, bloody, naked, he didn't just take our guilt for our failure. He didn't just take our sin. He took our shame. We try and hide our shame from others. But Jesus took our shame and he fully exposed it on the cross for what it was. And because he did all of this, Paul says we can be blessed. Again, it says in verse 14 as we come to a close, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It would have been enough if Jesus simply took our curse and we didn't have to suffer the consequences. If he just took our shame and our guilt and our, our sin and put it aside and left us there, that would have been enough. But Jesus, he lavishes grace upon us. Our God does not hold back. We can have the, the blessing of Abraham, it says. We can be justified. We can have the guilt, the condemnation, the shame taken away from us. We can be elevated to a place of status that we can never have before. We can be called children of God because of what Jesus has done on that cross. Again, it says in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you can either choose the law and be under a curse or choose Christ and be blessed. And with the blessing of being in Christ, Paul says, comes the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit bring us, guys? He brings us comfort and he brings us power. And some of us need comfort this morning. You know, the things that come our way, heartbreak, betrayal, guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, failure. These things come and we need comfort. And the Holy Spirit will bring you comfort. It is a promise, but you need to come to him by faith. Some of us need power this morning. Power over sin. Power in your walk. Power in your ministry. Power to share the gospel effectively. Power to, to just be a witness for Jesus. And you're feeling tired. And the reason is because you can't do it by yourself. And you're not meant to do it by yourself. We don't have to. The Holy Spirit brings power. But that power is only received through faith. Remember we said of him a few, a month ago, what is the Holy Spirit? He is not a prize to be earned. He's a promise to be received. And so as we go into this week, and as we close now our service in a time of worship, so I'm asking the question, what is it you need today from God that you've been trying to earn, but he wants to give to you by faith? Is it, is it power? Is it, you know, Lord, I, I, I'm doing so much for you. Now give me the power to keep it going. Is it, is it comfort? 
you know, you're thinking, I, I'm being such a good person, Lord. Why, why don't I feel better? Why is this stuff happening? Is it forgiveness in Jesus in the first place? Our God is a God who generously gives. He has given us himself to prove that. Will we, will we be a people who lay down the works of our hands and with open hands receive him instead? As we go into a time of worship, the elements of communion will be in the back. As we take communion as, as a body, we remember his body that was broken for us. We remember his blood that has washed us white as snow. And as we do that, it's a remembrance that it's all about him. The focus is on him and what he has done. It is faith in him. So I'd encourage you, if you're a Christian, take communion in faith and be blessed by the blessing of Jesus. If you need prayer, I will be in the back. I'd love to pray for you. And maybe you want the power of the Holy Spirit or his comfort and you need someone to pray with you. I'll be that for you. Um, but do business with the Lord this morning. Bring those concerns to him. Bring that need for comfort. Bring that need for power, that need for forgiveness. And he will give it to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us so much. You have sent your son to die for us, to, to take the curse, to take the guilt, to take the shame. And Lord, we can trust the words where it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that those who believe in his name will never be put to shame, that we have freedom, that we are blessed like Abraham through you, Jesus, that we have justification, we have all the promises of Christ through faith in you. Lord, I pray that you bring comfort to your people as we worship you. I pray you bring power to your people, God, as we worship you. I pray, Lord, as we look to the face of Jesus and seek his face, Holy Spirit, that you would transform us, as it says, from one degree of glory to another. God, we thank you that you have made it so simple, Lord, for us. And it can seem so hard, God, but you have made it so simple to approach you in faith and to trust you. So God, as we worship, would you increase our faith? May we believe that you can do all the things that you have said you will do. Lord, we commit our week to you. We commit our praise to you. We pray you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.